Hey, this is Michael Spath, host of the NIL Report. No Jeff Sloan here on today's episode, but we've got a great guest for you. Dennis Dodd of CBSSports.com is joining us uh, to talk all things name, image, and likeness. Dennis, thanks very much for joining us here today. Michael, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Well, Dennis, you know, you and I, I mean, you have written about this uh, th- this topic uh, even well before name, image, and likeness became official on July 1st, 2021. And I, I am really curious because I, I, I kind of want to take uh, take the audience through, you know, the iterations that have come out. Uh, you've written some great articles for CBS Sports about this. But when when it was being discussed and when the Supreme Court case uh, in the spring of 2021, essentially dealt a, a pretty big blow to the NCAA, not in regards to name, image, and likeness, but essentially kind of opened the door for this. What were your expectations and your thoughts for this legislation uh, that was adopted in the middle of the summer? I don't know what my expectations were, but my thoughts were at the time, and I think it was late June when the Austin uh, decision came down, ruling, I guess is that all virtually all the guardrails were off. So since we'd never been through this before, my thoughts were what form is this going to take? And what you see basically in, in, after the admonition from Justice Kavanaugh, you know, not only a, fa- a ruling not in favor of the NCAA, which pushed this to the Supreme Court, by the way, figuring, oh, you know, conservative court, blah, blah, blah. Um, but a nine Oh, uh, you know, backhand to the face, you know, don't bring this up again or else you'll lose. That started the momentum for everything we see today. The wild, wild West flat out what looks like inducements being offered to athletes and really the NCAA at a, not even a crossroads. They, they and their members have thrown up their hands wanting some kind of help from Congress, which I don't think is anywhere even close to happening, no matter who's in office, frankly. They've got more important things to do. And at the end of the day, I, I tweeted this the other day, from, from the time I started covering this, which is 30 or 40 years ago, we've always been told that it would be a disaster. Oh, it, back in the 50s, laundry money, $15 a month, disaster. Well, corrupt athletes. Um, what was the other one? Oh, um, insurance premiums for uh, loss of draft value. It's an inducement. They come to the school. I think NM was the first school to really monetize that. Uh, cost of attendance. I was I was in was in Destin a few years ago, and the coaches were SEC coaches at their spring meeting were losing their minds over the fact that Auburn might get Auburn players might get a hundred dollars more a month than Alabama players, for example. And then the NCA's testimony, time after time, people will stop watching, attendance will crumble. None of that's happened. In fact, if you watch the games, there's been no impact at all. Um, as I traveled through, you know, covering games this last year, it was actually refreshing that I didn't have to write that that day. That had nothing to do with the game. And I think at, at the end of the day, um, this is what it's going to look like. I, I keep coming back to the fact that I've said for years that, that there's 11, 11 chickens in Ohio State jerseys and 11 chickens in <laughs> Michigan jerseys. People are going to pay to sell out the big house or the shoe to watch. And that, that's, 
you know, that's what, that's what we're down to. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting, <laughs> Dennis, I, I agree with you. And, and I think what, what a lot of people, the, the, you know, the sky is falling. Uh, what they don't understand is that college athletics and college football in particular are so intrinsically uh, formed inside all of us uh, from a young age uh, that we were always going to be loyal to our to our university, to our program, to whatever our team is, um, because re- regardless uh, of of you know who the coach was or who the players were, and it, it's funny to me because at the University of Michigan they talk a lot about the team, the team, the team, and yet somehow we're fans were supposed to be uh, you know turned off by individual players or individual coaches when what they sell all the time through marketing is about the 125 or, you know, the, the, the 11 guys that go out there that are represent the representing the other, you know, 85 players backing them up. And so I've never really thought that college athletics was going to be threatened by paying athletes. Um, and, and to some degree, I mean, it makes it even a little bit more sense because fans are like, at least like, Hey, like, you know, the money's going towards this. Now, Dennis, I want to get into, and there's a lot of parts of this name image you'd like to talk about, but I want to get into, let's just jump right into it. Why are we not paying college athletes? I mean, right now what we've seen is there is so much money that boosters, yeah. alumni, businesses are throwing at these college athletes, whether they're doing it legally or illegally still, um, but there's so much money available and programs like Texas and Ohio State and Alabama and Michigan and on and on and on are doing anywhere between 180 and 220 million dollars in athletic department revenue majority coming from football and you know part of that is like well if they do this they they're going to have to get rid of softball and they're going to have to get rid of gymnastics and I just don't think that's a that's an argument that holds up anymore No I don't think it does either I mean it, I keep coming back to the basic this, this is the the only way this the only model there is really in the history of man and it's the only way businesses operated like this in the world, the structure we have now, where it, it's a for-profit business model in the athletic department, but everywhere else, NCAA conferences, it's a 501c3 nonprofit. That's why we can't get records from the Big Ten. No, it's a, it's a nonprofit. You know, clearly, um, and I'm being sarcastic, uh, the NCA operates the same way. And, the, but like you mentioned, these giant athletic departments operate with a for-profit business model. And what we're witnessing now in real time is those bumping up against each other. And to answer your question, powerful people want to stay in power. They want to keep it as is. I think some, some wiser people, even if they don't want to see it happen, are resigned to the fact that it will happen because, you know, the barn door is open and the horses are gone. Do you want, you know, do you, okay, um, NIL is out of control. Uh, the transfer portal is out of control. Well, guess what? There's a reason why it is. And if you try to rein it in or limit it at all, in this structure, you're going to have the same problem you had in the first place. You're going to get sued for antitrust. That's why they need outside help. So, you know, apart from that, or maybe in, in conjunction with it, the only way to quote rein it in is to me, 
is to recognize these players in an entity and collectively bargain with them. Doesn't mean you have to pay them. Um, they've already got NIL money. Uh, and that, but that does mean sitting across the table with representation. They will give you this. If you give us this, I, I just, I come down to the basics. Okay. Give us two years at the front of the scholarship. You can't transfer for two years and we'll give you X. I mean, I, I always say, and I just make this up. Uh, no practice can start before 8 a.m. Um, <laughs> and that's a, that, and, and yeah. that's a pretty good one because a few years a few years ago, legislation had to be developed, Michael, that no practice could start after midnight or before 6 a.m., which tells me that was happening. Right. Now, right. If that's not an abuse. I don't know what is. Yeah. So that's just a, a simple collective bargaining session, but it's it's way more complicated than that. We're talking without saying it about the revenue sports, but you've got huge title nine issues. If you pay, you know, if you pay Cade McNamara, you're going to have to pay every volleyball player at Michigan. And what does that look like? Maybe it looks like everybody gets $38 a year. I don't know, but, but that's going to have to be accounted for. Yeah. And it's interesting to bring that up because I wonder, Dennis, if that is true because of the different uh, revenue models that football is versus volleyball. Volleyball, um, you know, I don't think there's probably a program, men's or women's, across the country that makes a dollar profit. I doubt it. Mm -hmm. Um, But football, uh, you know, I don't want to say majority because we actually know that that's not true, not a majority, but a good number, and especially in the Power Five, are making. Uh, a, a profit at a place like the University of Michigan, at a place like Texas, at a place like Ohio State, uh, those the, you know that profit margin for football um, is is a hundred million dollars. Um, and so you know, I was just looking this up. If you took if you took one hundred and fifteen players, which includes uh, the walk ons on a team of a of a limit of eighty five scholarship players, and you paid every single one of those one hundred and fifteen uh, athletes on your football team fifty thousand dollars a year. That's a big mm-hmm. number, $50,000 a year. It's $5.5 million. Are you telling me that $5.5 million is not available, considering that, you know, and at, at, at again, and here I am in Southeast Michigan recording this podcast, University of Michigan, uh, you know, they've put a couple hundred million dollars in their facilities. They're paying their football coach uh, $7 million, and their assistant coaches, the pool is about $2.5 million. Um, and they're paying... You know, all their other coaches, millions and millions of dollars. And so you're telling me that you couldn't afford five and a half million dollars a year for every football player to have to get fifty thousand dollars. I think you could. And especially because of the fact that now name, image, and likeness has shown that business uh donors and boosters are coming out of the woodwork to throw money at people. I mean, you could just take that money, collectively pool it, and pay those players. Yeah, I agree, and obviously that's the case at a lot of schools. The problem there is eventually you're going to run up and I've been through this a million times. So I know it would be coming. What would you be capping it with $50,000? And you know, if that's the problem and it would be eventually, then there would be players that opt out Mm -hmm. the the five stars that can earn way more than $50,000. Um, and I'm just scatter shooting off the top of my head. You know, is, are you talking, you know, what about uh, li- group licensing? You know, where players could make a bunch of money by doing trading cards that they pulled their resources. Well, superstars, I don't know, pick, uh, I don't know, pick somebody in the Big Ten. 
Um, CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud is going to opt out. No, mm-hmm. I don't want to be part of that group life. I think I can make a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get a check for X. I want to get as much as I can. Mm-hmm. So it's fraught, but I'm not saying it can't happen. Obviously a lot of schools can um, afford it. You know, that's the problem I have with, with uh, complaints about NAL right now. None of the money, there's not a dime going out the door of these athletic departments. Yes, they're kind of hand in hand with these collectives. Yes, some of them are, you know, doing some in-house stuff in states where they legally can. A lot of states you can't do it in-house. Um, but uh, the, the NIL thing is, is that. It's, the guardrails are already in place. I keep saying that. You know, that's, that's why I think, you know, this is going to be the status quo in some form because the guardrails are simple. You can only take 25 of them and you can only take 13 in basketball, 15 for women. And in that sense, you know, Alabama's still going to get the best players and Akron's not. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to take the best of the best because you can't take 10 quarterbacks because that's roster management. So in terms of Alabama. Mm-hmm. they're still going to recruit like they're recruiting now. But it, it's just become a, a competition for the best players with the money now being above board. Yeah. You see it with the, uh, with the collectives, with what, uh, oh, I've written about it, what a bunch of schools have done. The, uh, a billionaire booster at Miami you know, gave, gave a, a writer, a beat writer at Miami here of all the numbers, 17 players going to pay them in salary this year, uh, total more than $550,000. Mm-hmm. Here it is. They got to do something for it, but there's nothing to regulate that. And maybe there shouldn't be, you know, you're worth what somebody will pay you. But in general, you have to do, have to have a quid pro quo. You have to do something for the money. But what does that even mean these days when, you know, the Kardashians are getting a quarter million for a tweet? Yeah. Right. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and so let's let's circle back to name, image, and likeness, and because a lot of things you said there uh, could use a little bit uh, more in depth explanation for our for our audience. And so uh, Dennis just wrote about this uh, for CBSSports.com. dot um, You know, maybe may, maybe at the end of January he wrote about the collectives, and the collectives uh, are essentially a group of boosters um, or alumni, well to do alumni at most uh, Power Five conferences who are getting together, uh, kind of pooling their money. Uh, whatever that looks like, hey, let's put, get together and bring a million bucks together, or we bring $10 million together, or you know, rumors of, of even more than that. And what we'll do is we will just throw this money at football players, especially football and basketball players, the two revenue sports. Uh, and we're just going to say, hey, um, here is $200,000 to player A and $200,000 to player B and $100,000 to player C. And this is all done a, to reward players who are there, but Dennis, as you can speak to, really what it's, do- what it's doing is saying, look, if you go to the University of Florida, if you go to South Carolina, if you go to Alabama, there is a 100000 or a $200,000 name, image, yeah. and likeness deal waiting for you. So it's really supposed to be enticing recruits to go to these places, which is again, is the one part of NIL legislation that is supposed to be illegal is you're not supposed to be able to do that, but there's nobody policing it, and there's so many gray areas and loopholes that there's just being taken advantage of. It's turned into de facto inducements, which are against NCA rules. You cannot offer money to prospects 
to attend that school. But I, I knew where this was headed last July when Nick Saban was at a, uh, a state conference of Texas high school coaches, and he mentioned that Bryce Young was going to get a million dollars in NIL money. Well, at that point, it didn't matter if it was true or not. He knew it was going to get out. He was telling every good quarterback in the country, come to Alabama and you can get a million dollars. Now, through my reporting, I, I, I did find out that, yeah, that's probably what he's going to earn. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's on the high end, obviously, of any athlete. And, and God bless him. But if that's not an inducement, I don't know what is. It, it may be covered, you know, covered in, in, uh, in honey. But <laughs> when you're, when you're, you know, when you're, when you're establishing these collectives and putting this money out there, you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're telling these kids to come here to, to back up quarterback at um, Jake Garcia, I think his name is, at Miami, who's on salary. He's got a two-year contract. Mm-hmm. He's making like thirty-eight dollars or $40,000 a year to do commercials for this billionaire's company in, uh, in South Florida. And he's the backup quarterback. Now we can argue about whether he's worth it or not, but again, you're worth what somebody will pay you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I come back to the fact that the market will set itself and it may set itself after this, this season, after 2021, because what, what all these people are doing in these collectives, whether they're for profit or not, a lot of them are nonprofit, which is fine. But what's your return on investment? Mm-hmm. You know, sooner or later, you know, you look, there's a, there's a shadow, you know, a shadow government, if you will, going on underground to get these tables, get these players to go to these schools. But now most of it, or a lot of it, is above ground. But what, but your, what's your return on investment? Even when, when it was, you know, under the table cash, you know, it was, well, you know, if we don't get this guy, what's going to happen? And, and so it just, it just becomes, you know, the rich get richer on the field because you can't, you can't quantify X amount of dollars poured into the system means X amount of wins. Mm -hmm. You know, if that were the case, um, you know, Michigan would win a lot more than they do. Ohio state does win a lot, but there are only about four or five or six teams that compete for the playoffs every year now. So there's no perfect formula. And that's what, that's what you're talking about when you talk about return on investment. Okay. Well, we're doing all this. When are we going to win? And that's when you're going to see the pressure on the system Yep. that, you know, guys will step out. Maybe others will step in, but it, it, I think it will regulate itself, frankly. Yeah. And it's really interesting to say there, Dennis, because most times when you're talking about ROI return on investment, you're talking about, Hey, if I, if I invest, uh, $25,000 into my marketing budget for the year, I'm expecting to make $50,000 off of it, right? Um, right? So you spend money to make money. And and here, you know, especially since the fact that they're not really asking a lot of these athletes to do anything in particular for their business, um, you know, they're they're not expecting athlete A uh, to, to really make a difference for their overall company bottom line, what they are, their return on investment, and you just said it perfectly, is championships. Their return on investment, if I'm going to be uh, the the Florida, the, the Gator Collective, I think is the one that you wrote about on your yep. article. You know, if I'm the Gator Collective and I come together and we say, all right, we're going to put 5 million bucks together every year to go out there and bring in the most five-star recruits for football that we can, 
Uh, and so every year for the next four or five years, we're spending five million bucks per recruiting class uh, to come in. Well, guess what? If in three or four years' time, Florida is not in the uh, college football yeah. playoffs, then some of these people, I, I do agree with you. I think some of them are going to look and go, what am I spending my money on? Like, I can spend it on more trips for my family. I can buy more cars. I can do this and this and this. Instead, I've been given, maybe I'm given an individual, as an individual, I'm given $500,000 a year to win a championship, and I ain't seen any championships right now. Right, right. And and what form does that take? Does that mean just someone else, you know, jumps into the breach and, and throws their money in it? Um I mean, that, that's been traditionally, that's been the case in these under the table payments. You know, if you're either in or you're out, you know, there was, I, I've been told for years, there was a, a major program that a coach would bring in all the big, this is a long time ago, coach would bring in all the big boosters and tell them and show them the schedule and show them what the line was on the games and get down on these games because we're going to cover and I guess it was some of the non-conference games where they could win easily. And then they took the winnings, and that was their war chest for buying players, you know, underneath the table. Wow. Now, it, that particular program is not a national power, but at that point, you're either in or you're out. Yeah. You know, are, are, are you in? Do you want to do this or not? And that's, and that's just part of the market look setting itself. Because I, I keep telling people, because of what I said up front, about congressional help and there's none on the way that this is just going to be the way of the world, you know, and kids will, I think the biggest thing, the coaches are upset. We talked about inducements. The kids walk in now and say, how much can I get? Yeah. Uh, and the coaches have now been conditioned to say, here's what you can get. And it's not even, you know, it's, all the shackles are off, you know, it's like, well, it's not an inducement. Yeah. It's just a negotiation now. And they are able because of, we haven't even gotten into this, because of the NCAA's lack of foresight in being the NCAA, they are now able to be represented by NFL agents who, let's face it, are getting their claws into these guys mm-hmm. to be their NFL agents when they turn pro. Yeah. Um, marketing agents for, for NIL for the moment, but we know what it is. Right. So it's just turned into that. And, and someone has to tell me the point where all this is so slimy and so bad, according to its critics, that again, people stop coming and stop watching. Yeah. They haven't. They just haven't. The the game's as popular as ever. Yeah, and I think it'll continue to be regardless of what's taking place behind the scenes. But you're gonna have you're gonna have a lot of coaches like Nick Saban, like Lane Kiffin, uh who who both kind of who Lane Kiffin got into it with uh, Jimbo Fisher from Texas AM. Nick Saban came out and spoke about Hey, you know, we can't be using this money to re- to recruit athletes, which as we mentioned earlier in the Bryce Young thing, I mean, he essentially got this whole thing started by announcing that. Um, and then, you know, six months later, it's like, Hey, we can't do this. Uh, I, I thought that was, you know, pretty ironic coming from, uh, from Nick Saban's mouth. But you know, when yeah. you, when you, when you look at it, Dennis, I don't think football is different because you've talked about 85 scholarships. And so I don't think a program is going to come out of the, come out of nowhere, come out of the shadows and all of a sudden be able to be competitive with the Alabamas and Ohio States of the world. They're still going to have that advantage. And because they also have alumni boosters that are not going to let their program fall behind. But what I think is intriguing about this is if you take basketball, which is 13 scholarship players, and you're only talking about five that start, and on most teams, eight 
that rotate through the lineup. Um, you know, if if what is stopping a program that is not a player right now from putting together resources? And I think this was interesting. I was teaching this in my class as we went through, we took a bunch of random schools in the state of Michigan. We took central Michigan. We took Eastern Michigan. We took West, Western Michigan. And we found at each of these institutions, uh, we found billionaires. We found that each program, each school had at least one billionaire uh, that was an alumnus. And in most cases they had two or three at the university of Michigan, according to Forbes, they have 26 billionaires um, that are Michigan grads. Stanford, the biggest, the, the, the top power five school in the country has 72 billionaires uh, from, from its alumni ranks. But what is stopping a program, um, a no-name program right now, if they can get to the, to the alumnus or a couple of them that have those type of resources and say, you know what? We think we could make a move. We think we could pay you know five to seven college basketball recruits a million bucks a year to come to our school, and boom, they take off. And if they do this for basketball, why couldn't they do this for volleyball team, for the field hockey team, for the golf team at some of these places? Well, again, it's economies of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you saw, oh, who was it? Charlie Batch offer uh, Caleb Williams. Hey, come to Eastern Michigan. <laughs> you make a million dollars. Well, Caleb Williams isn't going to Eastern Michigan for any amount of money. I'm sorry. Um, in fact, his his transfer to USC had, you know, having known a little about the family and him had nothing to do with NIL. You know, he's looking for professional development. Uh, the basketball thing has been going on for a while. It, it indeed is happening because even before the transfer portal, uh, coaches were swapping out starting fives every year just to the transfer process. I think it was 40% in Division One. 40% of uh, basketball players were transferring before the end of their sophomore year. So that was just a culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you've got, you got guys staying for a year. You have to retool right away. Now more than ever with Portal, you can re, you know, redo your roster. But again, it's economies of scale. Eastern Michigan isn't going to get the Fab Five. In the transfer <laughs> portal, so that that's that's just the the not the market, but you know the 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 athletic uh, value setting itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's it's always it's always been easier to get good in basketball because there's fewer players on the court and one player can dominate. You know, but when that one player goes to Kentucky, you know the Sheboy kid who's the best rebounder in force in the middle we've seen in years. Well, that doesn't really change things, does it? Right. So, yeah, it, it, in terms of basketball, it's been going on for years, and coaches know that and accepted it. I think football coaches now have to know that and accept it now. They're all, they're all bitching about roster management. Well, you can either embrace it and deal with it, or you can't. And if you, do, if you complain about it in public, you're hurting your recruiting. Right. Uh, this isn't for you. Know, you've seen some curmudgeonly – Coaches say, oh, what about loyalty? In fact, Nick Saban said that. He actually said loyalty. What about loyalty, Nick? What about Jameson Williams' loyalty to Ohio State? How long did that last? He almost won a national championship with him. So they're all kind of not hypocrites, but saying hypocritical things when it serves them. Well, I mean, and that's, and honestly, in my opinion, Dennis, uh, the reason that we are where we are today uh, is the explosion in coaches' salaries over the last decade. If you had, you know, if you had a coach making a million five as a head coach, 
uh, you'd probably look at it and say like, okay, yeah, I mean, the, the players sort of make a lot, but the coaches are, you know, pretty comparable uh, within scale. But the, when they started exploding and now, you know, Nick Saban makes 10 million and Dabble Sweeney from Clemson makes 10 million and, uh, you know, Mel Tucker from Michigan State makes nine and a half million after having his first winning season. And you see those numbers explode. I, I think it became harder and harder to tell the, the the athletes, but tell the general public, well, there's just the money isn't there or, or, you know, they shouldn't be getting anything when these coaches are getting whatever they want and they're leaving. Uh, they're, they're walking out of the Notre Dame locker room. Um, and five minutes later, they're, you know, on a, on a plane going to LSU like Brian Kelly. I mean, when the coaches, the coaches really how they essentially, they created their own transfer portal because they started jumping all over the place and they created their own problems because they started getting massive millions of dollars of deals. And so I think that's where you can trace this back to is as money exploded and you started and like the facility races, I mean, Oregon's doing this now Clemson has a, has a water slide in their locker room. I mean, when you're spending a hundred million dollars on every single football facility and you're still saying, Oh, but we don't have money to pay the players. This is where it got obnoxious and people started seeing through it. Yeah. And it, it, and it added to the player empowerment movement, which we had when they're, if they're going to, how can, how can these coaches possibly complain about what these players are making and loyalty when, you know, they're, you just mentioned the money and the fact they can skip when the players can't, that that's what really added to the momentum of a getting rid of the one-time transfer exception but you had to sit out a year and then to the transfer portal, which made, which expedited it. The, the coaches have only themselves to blame for that um, because they abused the privilege. There was a, I could give you 10 cases, but there was a case at uh, Kansas state a few years ago where there was a, what was his name? I think Curtis Simmons or something defensive back who, uh, who wanted to transfer. And Bill Snyder said, here, you can transfer, but, you can't transfer to these 35 schools. What the heck was that? That's not written in the, in the, in the uh, scholarship agreement in the uh, national letter of intent. And so there was no reason these coaches have done it in all sports time after time, just in, that, in terms of the Bill Snyder out of spite and the kid appealed and the way the rules were written, if there was, there had to be an appeal committee on campus, which is boy, no, uh, no favoritism there. Is there, well, they right. ruled in favor of Bill Snyder, and the AD stepped in and said, no, that's not right. Let the, you don't want the kid. The kid doesn't want to be here. What's the point of blocking him? And the AD stepped in and let him go. Now, I just use that as, as the one example uh, of these, cool, these coaches having any leverage uh, or any point to talk about this stuff. And then we had, look, uh, the, the salaries and the salaries. But what about the buyout? What, what compels – some of these ADs to agree to some of this stuff. I mean, all, all of the country in itself. I mean, if they had gotten rid of Brian Harson, they would have been on the hook for almost $40 million and buyouts alone. Forget about coaches in football alone, 40 million between Gus Malzahn and Brian Harson within a year. Um, they didn't, but they apparently entertained the idea. You know, would, would Mel, the Mel Tucker thing, every time I talk about it, I laugh. And I know who his agent is. He did a great job, uh, Neil Cornrich. Would Mel Tucker have taken, I don't know, eight and a half million a year? Would he have taken six and a half million a year? I think he would have. But these two, you know, these two uh, boosters that are ingrained at Michigan State, 
decided they wanted to do it. They're paying for the contract. Uh, and you get into some really deep stuff there. You know, these guys, this now you're talking about privatization of the athletic department. They could, they could hire and fire whoever they want now for 90, nine and a half million a year for 95 million over 10 years. You think not? You know, if they want to get rid of Mel Tucker in two years, if he's underachieving, you know, they, they're paying the contract. Right. They'll right. have a say in who they hire next. They're going to get rid of the volleyball coach. Yeah, done. Yeah. Uh, but that's another, that's a whole nother podcast, but that's all, that's all come into play here. And the, the money is the money. I think there's a democratic Senator on the Hill who's conducting some sort of inquiry into why these coaches are making so much money. But I, I, I don't, you know, that this is America again, you're, you're worth what somebody will pay you. Absolutely. As we well know with NFL quarterbacks and starting pitchers, uh, <laughs> right. starting pitchers, you're worth whatever the New York Yankees will pay you. Um, exactly. <laughs> they set the market. So, well, Dennis, uh, great stuff. I mean, we're going to continue to unpack name, image, and likeness. Uh, I mean, I don't know there'll be a start, a stopping point until they, you know, Congress gets involved. And as you said, when we first started this podcast, I haven't seen, and, and I have a number of sources, uh, as do you who are connected through government channels. And like, I've asked them, Hey, are they picking this up? And they're like, they're no, no, like no one, no, no one. No one no. is talking about it. No one's putting this up on the Hill. Nobody in the center of the house uh, is going to tackle this. Instead, the NCAA, I mean, this is jumping from state legislature, legislature to state legislature. I mean, the state of Alabama in recently in January repealed their name, image, yes. and likeness law for the simple purpose that they felt like it was too restrictive and that they put Alabama and Auburn and uh, UAB at a disadvantage compared to other states. And they essentially said like, hey, go ahead and come up with your own. Uh, name, image, and likeness uh, at your own individual school. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see more states just completely either repeal or change their legislation. Oh, it's happening now. Yeah, it's to, make it, now to make it more friendly. The state laws have become more restrictive than what the NCAA is allowing, which is basically it, you know, everything. So they're just, they're just repealing the laws. Let me say one more thing before we're done in terms of the government. You know, I've heard whispers, well, you know, the, if the, if Congress flips and it's, it's controlled by the Republicans, something like, why, you know, it, it, it was controlled by the Republicans and, and nothing happened. And I'm not making this political, but here, how about the reality of this? The, a, a Supreme court, uh, some would say stacked by a, an extremely conservative administration. This has put that in place with the Austin decision made one of the biggest pro labor decisions really ever. Uh, and, you know, statistically and, and historically, uh, Republicans are pro-business and anti-labor. That was one of the most pro-labor decisions. Look what's happened. Um, these kids are, are earning untold amounts of money. And I think people miss that point. So if you think the government's going to step in, the Supreme Court said it was okay. Right. Uh, which is 6-3. Uh, conservative right now. So I don't, I don't think anything's going to happen. No, I don't either. I don't either. I, I think it's going to get crazier. Uh, and I, I think we're probably, I think what you said, Dennis, earlier is the absolute truth is that the market will take care of itself. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, like most things in our country do uh, the market will figure it out. And uh, you know, billionaire alumni are going to at some point, because here's the thing is that, there's a lot of these collectives out there throwing a lot of money uh, at recruits and student athletes, 
but there's still only four spots in the college football playoff, and there's one yep. national champion, and Alabama's not going away, and Clemson's not going away, and Ohio State, and you know now uh, USC has got Lincoln Riley, and uh, a lot of you know Brian yep. Kelly's down at, at LSU, and so you know it, it, as long as it, if you continue to have only four to eight schools that in any given year have a chance, and yet you've got thirty or forty schools throwing money. Something's not gonna not gonna play out there the way that it, that alumni want it to go, and so there will be some market correction. Uh, but I tell you what, I would love, love, love to be a five star recruit and a star yeah. athlete on a football team right now. Yeah, uh, not even five. I mean, the opportunities are. When I first started looking into this, this told me the possibilities of this, and it was a it was a great company in Lincoln, Nebraska called Open Doors, and they've been a leader in NIL opportunities. And the guy who runs it, Blake Lawrence, is a former Nebraska linebacker. So he's, he's a great businessman and an athlete. So, you know, he said, had, this is right before NIL went in place. He said, had it been in place, the second largest earning athlete um, at Nebraska would have been a walk-on receiver because he was, he was rumored, not in fact, rumored, on like Instagram to be dating this TikTok star. Mm. And that alone would have gotten him social media evaluation. Turned out it wasn't true, but he could have, he could have killed it with just that. That's mm. nothing to do with athletics. Right. And good. You know what? Good for him. You know, whatever. Great. Agreed. Great for all of them. I mean, they're finally getting their, their opportunity here and, and taking advantage of it. And, you know, I come back when I tell this story to my, uh, my, my, my um, students, uh, at the University of Michigan, I always just say, look, man, I mean, like Denard Robinson to me is the perfect example of a young man who was uh, the the most popular, arguably the most popular player in college football for at least a year and maybe two years with what he was doing. And he couldn't make a dime off of his signature yeah. dreadlocks. He couldn't make a dime off of his untied shoes. He couldn't make a dime off of his great, great performances, anything like that. And for the four years he was at Michigan, that young man could have made himself a couple million dollars um, in opportunities. Instead, he graduated. He, he was the last, yeah, yeah. He was the last cover boy of NCAA football. Remember that? Right. In 2013? Right. What can you sold that for? Um, so, yeah, I just, I, I, in the early iterations of this, Mike, you remember this. You'd have critics going, well, if they get this money, they'll just go buy rims or stereos or something. You know what I said? So what? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can all we can all cluck our tongues about financial literacy and all that, and some schools teach it. But you and I have no business, you know, um, telling these kids what they can spend. Not only can they not earn it, we're going to tell you what you can't spend it on. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely ridiculous and anti-American, frankly. Yep, hundred percent. 100%. Well, Dennis, great conversation. Really appreciate it. You can read Dennis Dodd at cbssports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Dennis Dodd CBS, one of the preeminent voices in today's college athletics scene. So, Dennis, uh, thank you so, so much for, for your time here today. Michael, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Well, great stuff. Back next week with another episode here on the NIL Report. If you're an athlete, if you're a business, if you're in the university environment, you're looking to understand what's happening in this space. Join us each week here on the NIL Report.